This week's episode is sponsored by, I know what you think I'm going to say. You think I'm going to say nobody. But the truth is, no, we still don't have a big sponsor. But we got a lot of little sponsors all of a sudden. You know, people that are going online to the website, bartcampola.org, and they're putting up five bucks or they're putting up 10 bucks and they're sending these wonderful notes saying, Hey, these conversations are helping me. And so I want to keep this thing going. So here you go. Like John in London and James and Megan and Corey and Julie and Dean and, and Matt and Ariel in upstate New York and Cody and Akron and Ronaldo, who's all the way from Brasilia, Brazil and Carolyn in San Francisco and Ryan in Denver and Angie in South Texas and her husband and Randy in Houston and Black Dahlia in Dallas. We've got all of Texas covered. Angie in Salt Lake City and David from Florida and Doug and Jeannie from Southern California, who are my buddies, and Edna from Menominee. And you say, wait, Menominee? That's in Michigan. And wait, yeah, that's my mother-in-law. But like, I'm not kidding you. Like, I'm not reading her name because like, I just love her, even though I do. I'm reading her name because she made a donation to the Humanist Chaplaincy at USC, which is the kind of the nonprofit organization that sponsors this podcast, which is where like you give your money if you want to sponsor Humanize Me. Kajel and Philip and Tom, like there's all these people that are saying, hey, I want to be a part of this community. And they're not just writing a check for five bucks. They're sending nice notes. They're sending questions. And they're telling people to listen to the podcast, which, by the way, that is an awesome thing you could do. Like if you can help Facebook or whatever you do, the way you spread ideas, if you can spread the idea that like this podcast would be a good thing to listen to, the more people that listen, the more the bigger sponsors that I'm starting to talk to will say this is worth doing because th this conversation is reaching a lot of people. I think we might be doing something. Something might be happening. That's, that's just me being excited. All right, get on with the show. You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Now, in a minute, we're going to get to the conversation that I have with my friend Hemant Mehta, who is otherwise known as the friendly atheist. And I, I like he's kind of in a sense, he's one of the real pioneers of this idea of talking about life without supernatural faith in a way that makes you hopeful. And uh, he's, a, he's a really interesting guy. So anyway, like that's coming up. But in the meantime, before we get to that, I wanted to just, if you're listening, I want to tell you where I'm going to be over the month of April in case you want to show up. I'm going to be at the Oasis, um, which is a secular, an amazing secular community in Kansas City. I spoke at Oasis Houston last year, and I'm speaking at Oasis Kansas City on April the 3rd. And you can find that on their website, Oasis Kansas City. And then the next week on Sunday, I'm speaking at Temple Beth Adam outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, where I used to live. And Temple Beth Adam is one of the, it's, it's a completely secular Jewish temple. And so it, it's culturally Jewish. But I mean, if you look at, it's got this beautiful building with this incredible, you, it would be worth it for you to show up there, even if you don't want to hear me, just to see their stained glass window, which starts out with DNA and creation and spreads out to all this beautiful life and the development of human life. Uh, it's just this kind of an amazing visual representation of kind of the epic of evolution. Um, anyway, I'm there April 10th. 
in the morning. And then I'm also going to be on April 24th. I'll be back here in Los Angeles at Atheists United, uh, which meets at the Center for Inquiry um, here in, here in Los Angeles. And so when I was a Christian evangelist, itinerant speaker, I loved talking to people and trying to talk about how to connect with other people and how to fight for social justice. And I, I when I left that world, I thought like, oh, my days as a as a preacher or as a bringer of good news are over. But evidently I'm getting a little bit of a, of a second chance here. And so, yeah. So if you're around any of those places, please show up. It would be great to see you. And if you're somewhere where I'm not coming and you're a part of a community and you're thinking like, Oh, we shouldn't invite him. He probably wouldn't want to come to wherever, wherever it is. I would want to come anywhere. I, I wish people invited me to speak. Please go ahead. All right, that's all I got to say. It's now it's time to get to the conversation with Hemant Mehta, the friendly atheist. I hope you dig it. I hope you write and let me know what you're thinking and what you want me to talk about on future podcasts and some guests that you think I ought to have. We're building the community here and you're part of it. It's been crazy trying to get this conversation going. It has been. Between, between bad equipment, crying babies, <laughs> and Skype. I know. I swear I'm not this much of a Luddite. Yeah, what percentage of your interviews do you do online, and how many do you do in person? Um, in person would be ideal, but I don't go to very many conferences. So the ones we did, the one we did together, that's actually rare. Uh, when I actually have my equipment and I'm doing it in person, uh, most of them are over the phone in the studio. Okay. Yeah. And and, and I mean, do you, do you feel like you get the same? Do you get the same energy or is, no. it, is it weird for you if it's long distance? It's not weird, but it's not the same. <laughs> I mean, you, you get a different sense when it's in person. Also, there's no time constraints. I mean, and you get visual cues. And It's funny because, you know, a lot of what I'm talking with people about these days, I feel like is a lot of my students are engineers and stuff. And yeah. They all are excited about technology and virtual reality and I'm terrified of all of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the reasons is because I'm convinced that it's just changing the way that people relate. Um, yeah. and, and what's weird is like the students are like, yeah, yeah, it's changing it. But like for the better, like right. why would you want to have a conversation with somebody when you could text them <laughs> and therefore get to edit yourself right. and not have to not have your real emotions show. <laughs> And they're like, isn't that great? You can seem upbeat even when you're really pissed off at the person. <laughs> right, but you're censoring yourself and that's the downside. You No one gets to ever see like the real you. Yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking like, don't you realize you're going to be crippled in <laughs> real relationships? Right. Um, it's one of the I, things we do with speech all the time, which the frustration I had, you know I coach that public speaking team. Right, right. This, the biggest qualm I had with my best kids this past year, and they know it because I yelled at them all the time about it is when they're talking only one girl this year that i really liked sounded like a human when she talked to you everyone else you could tell was putting up some weird artifice like uh like i'm gonna give a speech to you now and i'm like why are you talking like that you never talk like that when we're just having a conversation and when the kids from other schools did really well it's like yeah well they're talking to me like we're just having a conversation no wonder people loved listening to them and it's one of the things i have to figure out a better way to 
hammer that home because if we can't do that what's the whole point of this you know but you know i I think that the other weird thing is just this relationship that they have that a lot of people have with technology now where they're thinking like things can be better than human like (laughs) wouldn't it be great if you could relate like if we created a machine that you could relate to that would never be bored with you or never be impatient with you or like Mm -hmm. would always be interested in you and I'm thinking, like, if that's the case, what happens when people prefer to relate to machines than to other human beings because the machines are more They're less available? Judge, yeah, available. and less judgmental. And <laughs> yeah. And, and I feel like, I mean, it's funny, like, when I first started using the word humanist, I didn't like it very much. But more and more, I'm getting to like it because one of the things I'm realizing is, is that I'm loyal to, I have, I, I have an allegiance to the human experience. Yeah. And to me, a big part of the human experience is finitude. It's the, it, it's, it's, it's the being limited. And mm-hmm. so if you created human beings that never died, that were never patient, that never needed to sleep, that never... Uh, ha- that never were selfish. I would go like whatever that is. Yeah, it's not. It may be better than human on one level, but it's not human. And I actually want to relate. I still privilege human relationships. Yeah, and I feel like I've gotten away from that somewhat because of what I'm doing now, which is like blogging, which I do from home. Uh, and I have a baby, so I can't get out even if I wanted to. I feel like I I've seen so few people. <laughs> <laughs> lately and it's weird uh even my wife picked up on that too it's like we don't hang out with anyone anymore <laughs> and it's hard to like get out and have genuine human interaction it's a little weird tell me more about that like do you feel like that's changing you i don't i don't know if it's changing me but i feel boxed up like i love the time with the baby don't get me wrong but man i want to go out and just see my friends or go meet new people or something and it seems uh i don't know it's just not happening like a speech was great because it gave me a chance to have my my mom babysit the baby and i could go and hang out with the kids and go to competitions where i see the other coaches that i'm friends with and we could talk there it's great i get that human interaction i can talk to you know strangers more or less and it's good um, and now that the season's over, it's like, okay, it's my wife, it's my, it's our relatives, our parents and whatnot. And I, I'm thinking right now, I can't remember the last time I went out, like just with friends and it, I, you just feel cooped up and it's a little strange because I'm so used to hanging out with people. I'm going to a conference next week and that's, I think the first time I've gone to a conference in several months. Now I got a question for you. Yeah. Speaking of. I mean, we were talking about this once, and I was sort of asking you why the friendly atheist? Like, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, and Because one of the things that I'm really interested in is, like, when you, is that you seem to be a man on a mission. It's funny because, you know, I come out of Christianity, and everybody was on a mission. There was always something that you were trying to do. Yeah. Um, and when I came into secular humanism or came into the secular community— a lot of times I didn't feel like people had a mission that was overtly about helping other people. And so I guess my question is, so what's your mission? What do, what do you see? Your, what do you, what do you think? Like, this is what I'm doing in the world. This is, this is the, this is the change I want to bring about. What is it? So I think part of it is I know that atheism makes sense for me and I know there's such a stigma attached to it. And I think 
religion to me is like the head of the monster when it comes to critical thinking. It affects, you know, when we talk about policy, whether it's like sex ed, LGBT rights, whatever, we can always debate those policies. But at the very center of it, I think religion affects all of these things that matter a lot to me. And so I want to go after the head of the monster. And when I see a lot of other atheists talking, I think they probably push away so many people. And that's frustrating, too, because, you know, I like listening to Richard Dawkins, but I know there are so many people who are critical of him for good reason, too. But it's like, oh, if only he could say things a different way, just think of the impact he could have, you know? When you're lucky enough to have a big platform, this is the thing that frustrates me about, like, Donald Trump, for example. Here's a guy with the biggest platform in the world, and what's he using it for? He's using it to, like sow these seeds of hate he clearly has no idea what he's talking about he's wasting this opportunity that no one else in the world has and to a much lesser extent it's like man if i could be talking about these issues about religion about politics and i had the opportunity where people were actually willing to listen to what i had to say i want to make sure that they hear it without getting just turned off by it you know, but here's the funny thing. You know, what's weird is like a friend of mine from my old Christian days was a, a, a young guy, hyper conservative Christian, yeah. named Sean McDowell. I know Sean. I know you do. Because yeah. like <laughs> I, I, he interviewed me for this book he wrote uh, about apologetics. Yes. And when he sent me a copy of the book, I'm flipping <laughs> through it and, and the, the and, and you're in there too. Yeah. I, I was proud of him because he just, he just printed my interview verbatim and he did that to me too and i appreciated that and i told him as much too i like when i get that sort of email from sean i actually one of the coolest things i thought uh, a year ago i got an email from a christian conference organizer they organized an online conference so because you know they cost a lot of money and they said everything is going to be up online uh people can watch the thing we were hoping you could make a five minute video uh, about LGBT issues because they were going to have a whole segment of LGBT issues. And I knew pastors were going to watch this. And they said, five minutes, you could say whatever you want, you know, within reason. And it's like, you know what? I don't think they would be asking certain atheists to do that sort of thing because they know it would just turn off everyone who's watching. And I think they understood that I could maybe talk to them in a way that they might actually listen. And yeah, that's yeah. happened. I mean, I, 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 yeah, Cause like when I ask you like, what's your mission? A part of me thinks like if somebody said to me, well, what Bart, what do you think is Hammett's mission? I go like, Oh, he's trying to show people like how not to be a complete jerk. <laughs> that's unintentionally a mission for sure. I mean, again, I want to spread the same seeds of reason that I think Richard Dawkins does that. I think all those new atheists do the other bloggers do whatever. Yeah. I want to do that as well. But I just think people are really bad at communicating their issues. Um, and unfortunately, uh, there are people who are pushing issues and values that I really like and agree with. And yet I cringe every time they talk or they write something because I'm like, uh, I just and, I'm and why, frustrated. Why do you by the think you that is? Why do you think there's so many people out there? in the world of kind of like reason and yeah. stuff that are so tone deaf. I think they assume that because they have passion about this subject, they can talk about it however they want and it doesn't matter. Therefore, 
uh, Bart, if you're speaking somewhere and I disagree with what you're saying and I interrupt you and I talk really loudly and challenge the things you're saying, it's justified because I'm very passionate and can, you know, uh, convinced of my own beliefs here. And there's no self-awareness about how to like a random spectator. I look like some screaming moron who can't wait my turn. So, you know, it's interesting. I, you know what I think it is? Right. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm going like, I kind of agree with you. And I think that the problem is, is that these people are more passionate about ideas mm-hmm. than they are about other people. Yeah. You, one of the best ways I heard it. Let me give you an example of this. Um, because I work in the online world, feminism is obviously a huge topic. I'm a feminist. Why wouldn't anyone be a feminist? And yet, when you hear people talk about the issue, it becomes so toxic and if they're trying to make certain arguments, you know, in favor of feminism or something, obviously, I, I agree with them. And yet when they talk about it, they just have no regard for to help people bridge the gap and come over to their side. It seems like they wear this badge of honor if they can alienate people who might not like their tone or their attitude. One of the ways I heard it put is that for all this talk about you know, care about these issues that you, that other people have privilege and they need it. They need to like check their privilege and stuff. You, you seem to care so little about this issue that you don't care if people come over to your side, you're willing to alienate them. I don't want to see that happen. I want people who disagree with me to join my side, but you have to know that there's a certain way to talk to people in order to help that happen. Do you know what I mean? That's what I think a lot of activists lack. They have no regard for how to bring people who already disagree with them over to their side. So they just demonize them and push them away. And that seems to make the problem worse. Well, you know, my mother used to say to me, nobody will care what you know until they know that you care. And I mean, I know that sounds really Mm Pollyannish, but I think on some level, the question is, do you want to destroy your opponent or humiliate your opponent? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to win your opponent over into being your friend? Like right. it, the, 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 it would seem to me that the way to truly vanquish an opponent is to turn them into a, a friend, make them into right. somebody who, who kind of understands and agrees with you. And so I, I like, that's exactly the thing that I, I have tried to do as much as possible, whether it's the various writing or podcasting or whatever, which is exactly that, which is to say, look, I want to discuss these issues with you, um, even though we disagree on them, because I think it's interesting. I want to see if you can convince me where you're coming from, and I'm willing to hear you out. Um, And I'll give you an example of that. There was this woman who made a video of the Field Museum in Chicago, like a natural history exhibit, where she was basically uh, mocking the whole evolution aspect of the exhibit. Like, how do these scientists know these things are millions millions of years old? They just made it all up. And she did this for like a long time on video. And online, man, people mock the hell out of <laughs> that video. And you know what? I did too, because it deserved to be mocked. But at the same time, 
I realized she lived very close to me and I reached out to her because I could tell things were getting, you know, contentious between us as well as like, I'm criticizing what she said in the video. She's criticizing the things I said and it was just going back and forth. I'm like, do you want to meet in person and kind of hash this out? We'll record it. We'll put it up online, whatever. Um, and she said yes, which I thought was very big of her. And we did. We had a long conversation. I'm not saying either of us changed our minds on the issue but that's a really cool thing that we were able to talk this stuff out for a couple of hours and there were certain things we agreed on certain things we didn't but there are so many people i think who are very passionate about whatever the issue is who just couldn't do that they just couldn't handle being with people who disagree with them in any sense of the word and if you can't do that like who are you talking to what are you, if you're passionate about something and you're just, you know, preaching to the choir, what's the point? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been in dialogue with Christians my whole life, mostly yeah. as one. But then, you know, when I, when I made my transition out of Christianity, like obviously my dad, my mom, these are, you know, these are really bright, really thoughtful Christians who obviously I'm still in dialogue with. And, you know, the nature of those conversations is so much about, I want to understand you. Mm -hmm. because I love you and understanding you is more important than, you know, smashing you into submission. Right. And, 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 I, and I, you have to be careful here because there are some people who I'm convinced will never change their mind about certain issues. Uh, the creationist Ken Ham, there's an example of someone who, isn't going to change his mind on religion or creationism anytime soon because, I mean, his whole life kind of depends on it. That's what he does now. However, by talking about him and saying, here's where he's wrong about the following things, I really, really hope that someone looking in from the outside, creationist maybe, will see that and say, you're not just saying, oh, this guy's an idiot because he said these things. You're saying he's wrong for the following reasons and you're justifying it and maybe they'll change their mind. I remember mocking that Bill Nye Ken Ham debate they had on evolution a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then I met several people, several over the course of a couple of years who said they were watching that on YouTube and that's what caused them to lose their faith. <laughs> like they became atheists because they heard that debate and no one had ever put it the way Bill Nye had during that debate and it stunned me because i watched that thing and i remember just thinking the whole time why the hell is bill nye doing this this is a dumb thing for him to do and i remember a lot of people had that opinion as well but that's the thing if you can phrase things in a way neil degrasse tyson there's a great example of it there are people who who are great scientists who will use the opportunity to slam religion he very much knows that is a turnoff for a lot of people so he very purposely doesn't talk about religion. You it's know, just, and it's so funny. You keep using the word religion and yeah. I, I find myself like, I know I use the word differently because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I work at the office of religious life yeah. at USC and I, I consider myself a religious naturalist as opposed to a supernaturalist. You know, I, I think this world is all that there is, but it, it's, it's got a sense of ultimacy about it. That makes me that makes me devoted to life in in a way that I think smacks of religion. And so, you know, at USC, we always define religion as the pursuit of life's ultimate questions. 
And, you know, my, you know, where do we come from? What happens when we die? What makes life meaningful? Where, you know, what is the, what's the kind of the basis of goodness? What's the basis of evil? How do you differentiate between the two? And I feel like as a, as a secular person, I'm trying to answer all those questions. Yeah. And so I can, you know, and so. I've never heard that definition put that way. And I like that. I like the, the definition you're using, though. I've never heard religion phrased that way, and I don't know if I agree with that. But you're right. That's the one thing all of the religious people you work with and you kind of have in common, which is you're you're trying to pursue that ultimate goal. You're trying to answer those questions. Yeah, and 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 moreover, I mean, I think the other thing is is that when I come up with an answer that says I think this life is all there is, and I think that the way to make the most of it is by loving other people and by doing work that makes a difference in the lives of other people and by cultivating a sense of wonder and thankfulness for the privilege of being alive. When I was a Christian, there were people who believed that stuff in their head, believed Christianity in their head, but it never translated into their lives. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm secular, I know people who believe all those things I just said in their heads but it doesn't translate into any kind of meaningful action. Like they're not, they're, they're, they're not committed to their worldview. And so to me, like in some ways, like it's just like religion in the sense of please don't like, don't tell me what your ultimate answers are in words. Show me what your ultimate answers are by the way you live. Like if you really sure. believe that the way to the, the, that, that this life is full of wonder then show me a little wonder, you know, pursue a little wonder, um, you know, cultivate a sense of wonder. And so for me, like, you know, when you say like religion is the head of the snake, yeah, I, I kind of want to say like, I think sort of irrational supernaturalism is the head of the snake. Like, let that's, me, let me, uh, that's a problem that I've got. Let me explain that a little bit. There are kind of two ways of handling this. One is kind of what you're getting at, which is, for some people, their religion causes them to do things that I believe are harmful. They think because of their beliefs, other people shouldn't have certain rights. Uh, they think they could treat other people in a certain way. They act on those beliefs in a very harmful way. That's the first thing, and I think that's the thing we're both talking about right now, which is when your religion causes you to do horrible things. That's, I would even say, like, even yeah. when your secular religion causes you to do horrible sure. things. Yeah, sure. You can be a jerk on that basis. Absolutely. And that's the thing I tend to focus on uh, with the, the activism that I do. That's what I want to stop. That's what I want to point out, that hypocrisy, that uh, this is why believing these things, it doesn't make you a good person. That's what I focus on. There is another aspect of religion, which is simply if you believe in a higher power for which there is no evidence, that's just a bad idea. You shouldn't do that because it could maybe lead to some other consequences that are not right as well. That's the more philosophical side of atheism. I don't care about that one as much because ultimately it's one of those, yeah, you're never going to prove religion right or, or you're never going to prove God exists or doesn't exist. Yeah, I think it's silly to to say God is there when there's no evidence for God. But if you believe in God, but like you're saying, it, that gives you the motivation to do some really amazing things, fine, good, I don't care. Like, I, you're the least of my worries. I, yeah, and I think... And I but, focus and more on that. What's funny is, like, 
I, where I get in on this thing is I see people that think it's a victory when they convince somebody not to believe in God. Right. And you're not done yet. Like That's I, nice, but who cares? Most of the people that come to me through the podcast, yeah. through the email, through everything are coming to me because they've lost their faith. Like their faith fell apart all by itself. They didn't need Richard Dawkins. Mm -hmm. They didn't need, you know, Sam Harris. They didn't need anyone like the inter the internal inconsistencies of it drove them crazy until they were done Yeah. or, or some horrible thing happened in their lives and God didn't intervene or whatever the reasons are. And they are bereft, man. Like they are, they, they don't know what to do next. They've lost their community. They've lost their sense of purpose. They've lost their sense of joy. And, and so to me, like convincing people to stop believing in God is not necessarily an awesome mission. Right. My question is, are, are you excited about convincing people to embrace the wonder of life and to embrace purpose and to create meaning where there is none I, on the, ba that is on the such basis of reason? You're absolutely right that that's such an important thing for them to do. I, I get people who are leaving religion because of the stuff I write and do. I'm meeting people earlier in the spectrum, I think, of becoming an atheist than, than you do. So I get them as they're leaving or as they're on the verge of leaving. But you're right, because me personally, I, I don't need to read a Christopher Hitchens book or a Sam Harris book to lose that belief because it's gone. Like, I don't need to read books about atheism anymore. I, I'm convinced. I'm done. So the question now, as someone who... What next? What, what next? Now? Yeah. And that's something you don't hear or see or, you know, anyone's talking about. And that's going to be the next thing we start doing. I, I get so mad when I saw people criticizing, like, the Sunday Assembly stuff. And we've talked about this before. They're criticizing it because maybe it felt hokey to them or whatever. And even if those are valid criticisms, here you had a group of people who were saying, we want to take this to the next step. Like, okay, you're an atheist, but now what? That's an important question to answer. And people are going to have different approaches to doing that. And we're going to try a lot of things. Not everything's going to stick. But that has to be where it goes. Well, Even you know, if you look at... I want to tell you. Yeah, I want to tell you. The world's best horses and buggies were made right after the invention of the automobile. <laughs> like, the horse and buggy was at its highest level of sophistication right before it was obsolete. And the earliest automobiles were crap. Yeah. They, they, the horse and buggies were 10 times better than they were, but they were the future. And, you know, people had to make a lot of bad cars before somebody figured out how to make a good car. Right. And when it comes to this, what's next and what does life look like when you're pursuing goodness on the basis of reason instead of on the basis of supernatural um, faith? Like, yeah. A lot of this stuff is going to look pretty crank, pretty cranky, and it's not going to work really well, and it's not going to be very polished. But man, people have to work their stuff out, and like we, we as a as, as a species, need to work out how to celebrate meaning, and how to give hope to our children, and how to convince people to love each other on the basis of common sense. And you know what? It's going to take a little work to work out the rituals and to it come is. up with them and to make the music sound right. Right. And and you know and and if people can't be patient with that, they're they're not paying attention because the fact that the stuff isn't polished is not an indication that it's not the right idea. It's just an early indication that we're early in the game.
right? At some point, this is a question that has been asked before, but I've heard this said about the gay movement too. What happens if you are gay, but being gay, being out is no longer a big deal? What happens when gay marriage has been legal for so long that having a gay marriage is just having a marriage? You know, you're having a wedding, whatever. No one cares. What happens when you lose that part of your identity when it's just not a big deal? That's that day is going to come for people well, who are not religious. It's already coming. Like when you think yeah. about it, like I was talking to John Figder, the, yeah. the, the humanist chaplain out at, at Stanford. And he was saying, Bartman, if you were around here 15 years ago, he said it was great to be an atheist. Or, new organizations were popping up. People yeah. were donating money because it was at the height of the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And people were scared to death of religious conservatism taking over. And so it was this kind of dissident movement, like we'll fund anything um, that that's fighting against that. And he said, now nobody's afraid that religious conservatives are going to dominate. Right. People like Ted Cruz, like to most rational people, <laughs> these people are a joke. Right. And, and I don't right. think anybody really thinks there's any chance that Ted Cruz is going to be our next president. Um, and, and so what happens is, is that if, if the secular movement was only about being accepted against, and being, you know, uh, people paying attention. It was and, all about protest. Yeah. Well, what if there's nothing to protest anymore? Right. And, and, and I think that that's the thing is that now the transition has to be because that, that movement, that cause gets over. But the cause of fighting for justice, the cause mm-hmm. of creating a better world, the cause of feeding hungry children, like if that's what secular humanism is about, then like you're always going to be in business because there's always there's every time a baby is born, there's another person that needs to be loved. Right. Every time a baby is born, there's another person that needs to be enfolded into a community and trained up in the ways of goodness. And so like on some level, you know, I just keep thinking, Hey folks, if you want to, if you're going to confine yourself to like trying to take down religion or take down supernaturalism, set your watch. Cause like it, it, that stuff's collapsing all by itself. You don't even mm-hmm. need to help it along that much. I, we got bigger fish to fry. Right. And this is one of the things people, a lot of atheists don't seem to get. They think if you have the right arguments, if you can make the right, you know, point out all the logical fallacies, people will just lose their faith in God and like churches will crumble. Basically what they don't get is look, there are plenty of people who go to church and don't believe all the stuff the pastor's saying. Why do they go to church? It's not because they believe all this stuff. It's because the church offers them the vehicle to do so many other things that make life worth living. Of course, they're not going to leave. They're not going to leave their social circle or all the volunteering. They unless, do unless, and until somebody comes to them mm-hmm. with an alternative community that says, hey, we're going to do all that same great stuff and you don't have to put in a narrative that's unbelievable to you. Right. So losing faith, uh, shedding your faith, however you want to say it, that's a great first step. That's an important first step. And maybe in a lot of ways, in a lot of parts of the country, we're still at the point where that may be the biggest hurdle. But you're right. We're getting to the point where, okay, it's not going to be a big deal. Like, oh, you're an atheist? That's nice. So is everyone else. Now what? Like, no one's going to be impressed or uh, they're not going to give you a weird look when you say that at some point in the near future. So the question is, what do we do with that? How are you going to 
what are you going to do with political yeah, power? I mean, once- honestly, that's that's why I mean, like, and I hate to I hate to take a shot at your name, but yeah. like, that's why I never call myself an atheist mm-hmm. because, like, so what? On some level, I call myself a humanist because what I'm trying to communicate is, yeah, I don't believe in God, but that's not who I am. Who I am is. I'm deeply committed to, to to becoming the most human, the most humane person possible. I'm committed to the future of the species. I'm committed to the other human beings. Like, let me tell you what my values are. <laughs> right. And you know what? I'm. You're right. Be, and Sam Harris has said that too. That he doesn't like the word atheist because, well, for a different reason. Because why should you have a name for something? That says I don't believe in something that doesn't exist. He doesn't like the so when I whenever I change the word atheist, good because I'm gonna have to change friendly too since people don't think I'm very friendly anyway. <laughs> I get those emails plenty of times too. At some point, we'll just undergo a wholesale revision of all of that branding. So well, you know, here here's the weird thing. It's like so this kid joins the group a few months ago, and 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 the first email I get, and and the kid introduces himself to me. But then the email I get comes from a different name. And I write and I say, why is your email coming from this woman when you're a guy? Yeah. And he says, well, I'm actually a trans man. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in transition from woman to man. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's my old email address. And so I'm like, okay, that's great. So the next time he comes to the meeting, I'm introducing him to everybody and saying like, Hey, he's a great guy. I want you to meet this guy. I love him. Cause I'm, I'm trying to send the message to everybody. Like get it straight. Yeah. So I think I'm doing really good and it goes on like this, but a few things happen over the next few weeks that make me think I'm not getting this right. So I, I write him a letter and I say, Hey, I don't think I'm, I'm confused by some things that you've said to me. I'm, I'm not sure I'm doing this right. I want to be a really good advocate. Will you come talk to me? So he comes in and he says, listen, I got to be honest with you. I lied to you. I'm not a trans man. I'm actually asexual. Gender is binary. Man Mm -hmm. to woman, woman to man. Like you're one or the other or you're trapped in one when you want to be the other. He's just like, I don't fit either of those categories. Like I don't have a gender. Did did you know there was such a thing as asexual people? Yes. I didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm learning in this thing. So we're talking. I said, well, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? He said, honestly, I didn't trust you. Most people, they have a hard enough time understanding trans in the, in the binary. They just, they're not willing to do the work. And so it wasn't until I got to know you and your gang better. And I say, all right, so like, what pronouns do I use? And the kid smiles and says, oh, there's a problem. He, him, that just doesn't work for me. She, mm-hmm. her, that doesn't work for me. Honestly, this is, I'm most comfortable going by it. And I, I, I said, I look back and I said, oh, I, I can't, that's, that's so dehumanizing. I don't want to call <laughs> you, I don't want to call you it. And it was funny. It smiled at me and said, yeah, well, like how you feel, that's really the most important thing here, right? <laughs> uh-huh. and, I, and I laughed and I said, all right, listen, it's going to take me a while. Right. But like, I'm going to work on it. So for the next five days, I'm working on it because I know we've got a gathering coming up and I want to reintroduce this kid to the group. Yeah. In the end, what this kid really was saying to me was, I need you to make it mean human being. 
Like I need you to, I need you to invest an old word with new meaning because in the English language, there's no word that can do what I need it to do. So I need you to take an old word and, and change it. it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we need to do with the word humanist in the sense of, I know what humanist or what atheist or what all these words have meant is this kind of like, we don't believe in God, we're against religion, whatever people have invested those words with, but they need to become, the word humanist needs to change its meaning. It needs to become somebody who is profoundly committed to loving relationships and to meaning and to, and to justice and to wonder and to reason. And, you know, and, and it needs to become a word that means something beautiful. Um, and I think that that's, you know, like ultimately I hope that when you get tired of being the friendly atheist, because people don't think you're friendly enough and atheist doesn't mean <laughs> enough. I don't think humanist is a great word right now, but I think we could turn it into a great word. I don't disagree with you at all. I think it's going to happen, but right now we're still at the point where it's, it's still all taboo. A- atheism, humanism, free thought. I mean, for a lot of people, that's still a hurdle to overcome. And until we get to the point where it's kind of saturated and it's not a big deal anymore, there won't be that pressure to redefine like humanism into something bigger and what it needs to be because, I mean, that's where the, that's where we're going. It's going to happen. But yeah, I don't know that we're there yet. Yeah. Well, I think what you're doing is helping to make it happen. I really do. I, I, think, I appreciate I think you're. I'm glad that when you were at that gathering of all those people that were on wonderful missions to make the world a better place, I'm glad they inspired you to do what you're doing because I think that in a very real sense, I get a lot of emails from people who say, hey, Bart, I only listen to your podcast and that Hemant Meta guy <laughs> because you're the only people I hear out there that are talking about what comes next in a way that makes that gives me hope and makes me think we've got a bright future beyond faith. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I hope that, you know, I again, I have this opportunity now. I'm trying to make sure I make the most of it because I know how many people would kill to be in that same position. So I hope I yeah. can do yeah. something cool with it. Well, you're a lucky man and you're a good man. And I'm glad you're my friend, <laughs> pal. Likewise. Thank you, sir. All right, man. I'll catch up to you later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for doing this. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Hemet Meta. I hope you liked it. Um, I hope you go on the website, bartcampolo.org, and poke around on the blog and stuff like that. But, but most of all, I hope you, you know, r- drop me a line and let me know what you're thinking. What, if there's stuff you want us to talk about, if there's ways I can be helpful to you. Because, like, we're trying to build a community here, a com- like an online community that ultimately hopes spawns real life communities, like a flesh and blood people hanging out with each other and encouraging each other to live the good life and to pursue loving relationships and to pursue meaningful work and pursue wonder and gratitude for this amazing privilege that we have of being alive. And, um, and so, yeah, so drop me a note. Let me know what you're thinking and keep, keep growing, keep going, keep loving, keep getting more human because that's what it's all about. All right, talk to you later. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.